podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast. Today is Thursday. It is the 26th of October. I hope you're all well and having a pleasant day. Certainly going to be having a better day than Sandro Tonali, who is set to be banned from all football for 10 months. That means he will miss the rest of this season. He will also miss the Euros. Now, I don't know if Tonali would have been a starter for Italy in the Euros. Um, I would certainly say he probably should be in Italy's best midfield three, considering Verratti's gone to play where he's gone. Jorginho has fallen off a cliff. I, I really like a couple of the others. I really like Fratezzi. Um, I think he's someone that would definitely start in my midfield three. Locatelli would start for me and Barella would start for me. So Tonali probably just misses out, but I don't, for, for me, 
but I don't think he would miss out. I don't think Tonali would miss out for the Italians. So I think this is a blow for them as well, assuming they qualify, which looks likely. Uh, we had football last night. We had eight games in the Champions League. And in the first of those, Barcelona beat Shakhtar Donetsk 2-1. Ferran Torres and Fermin Lopez with the goals. Sudikov did pull one back for Shakhtar in the second half as Barca were sort of in cruise mode. Feyenoord 3, Lazio 1. Two from Santiago Jimenez, who is really, really good. And Zaruki getting the third. Well, he got the second. Jimenez's second was the third. Uh, Pedri scoring a late penalty as consolation for Lazio. In the 8pm kickoffs, Newcastle versus Dortmund was a mental game of football for about 25 minutes. And then it settled into just being a normal game of football. But the first 25 were manic. And it could have been 3-3. Both sides missed good chances. Both keepers made good saves. Nick Pope, in particular, made a great double save. Dortmund went ahead just on the stroke of half-time. Anthony Gordon tried to beat Schlotterbeck just inside the Dortmund half. Schlotterbeck took the ball off him, laid it off, went on an overlapping run, got the ball back, cut it back centrally, and Felix Nemechia finished with aplomb, gave Nick Pope no chance. Newcastle missed a number of decent chances. They hit the woodwork multiple times. They got good 1v1 opportunities excuse me, opportunities, and just couldn't take them. Um, I think they'll be very disappointed by the result. But, like, this was always going to be the risk for Newcastle when a couple of players missed out. So, obviously, at the moment, Sven Botman is injured. Jamal Lachelles is starting. Jamal Lachelles... has fallen so far below the level required for team playing where Newcastle are playing at the top end of the Premier League and in the Champions League that it's almost unfair to be expecting him to come in and play the way he is. He has made now seven appearances this season. If we look at last season, Lachelles was out in the wilderness, basically wasn't getting opportunities, wasn't in the plans. All summer long, you heard that Newcastle were looking for a way to move off him because he's on decent wage. Last season, he played 11 games all season. 463 minutes across all competitions in the entirety of last season. This season, he's already at 556 minutes. The season before that, 21-22, when Steve Bruce was there and then Eddie Howe obviously took over, he did play quite regularly. But even under Howe, he was in and out of the team. He wasn't an automatic starter the way he had been under Bruce. And it wasn't because of injuries. It was clearly because Eddie Howe didn't fancy him. I mean, he was the club captain and Eddie Howe, just put him out of the team and would bring him in for a game here, put him back out for a couple of games, bring him back in. He might get a start, then a sub appearance that he mightn't play at all. And now they're reliant on him. 
and he is a level below. The other one to look at then is Matt Target, who's called off the bench last night when Dan Byrne has to go off. Jacob Murphy came on and, and went off. You'd wonder, is that an injury that's going to keep him out for a while? Isak is now going to be out for a while. And this is where Newcastle are going to have trouble because they don't have good depth. They've got good depth in certain positions, but not in others. But like for me, Dan Byrne goes off. You need a left back. Why on earth are you not bringing on Lewis Hall? Why is he not the one coming on? You've spent a fortune to get him into the club. He's got elite delivery. You're 1-0 down at home. Surely you, you should be bringing him on. I thought how managed the game poorly last night. Uh, RB Leipzig 3, Red Star Belgrade 1, David Rom, Javi Simmons, and Danny Almo with the goals for Leipzig. David Rom, uh, doing justice to my choice to put him in my top 10 left-backs the other day. Stamanich with the consolation for Red Star. Young Boys won Manchester City 3. Now, 3-1 didn't really reflect this game. City should have won this game by 5 or 6. But Young Boys could have scored 3 quite easily. But City could easily have scored 10. They had that many chances. Doku missed a good chance. Haaland missed a raft of chances. Last night was a typical Erling Haaland game. Played really poorly, missed a bunch of chances, and still scored two goals. Manuel Akanji put them one up on 48 minutes. Ruben Diaz's header was saved well by the goalkeeper, hit the bar, came down, and Akanji followed up and finished. Four minutes later, Elia scores an outrageous goal. Goes through 1v1, but from fully 22 yards out with the keeper advancing to the edge of the box, he just lifts it over him. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous finish. On 67 minutes, City get awarded a penalty. Rodri is fouled in the box. It's a stonewall penalty. No arguments to be made. Haaland steps up and scores, and he'd missed easily five chances before that. Uh, City thought they'd gone 3-1 up through Julian Alvarez, but it was pulled back for a Jack Grealish handball in the build-up. And then Haaland made a three on 86. This is a nice finish. Picks the ball up, just turns back in on his right foot and lashes it. Lashes it into the net and the keeper has no real chance to save it. He just looks at it. Didn't even make an attempt, just looks at it as it goes by. Young boys put up a decent performance in the game, but City were were very, very comfortable. Uh, PSG 3, AC Milan 0, Mbappe, Kolomuani, and Kangin Lee off the bench. This was this was what you were looking for from PSG. And when you saw that team on paper, I mean, that is a hell of a team. Donnarumma in goal, Hakimi, Marquinhos, Schrinier, and Hernandez. That's pretty much a perfect back four. That has everything you could want in a back four. Ugart, Zaire Emery, and Vitinho in midfield. And it's pretty strong. <laughs> it's pretty strong. Zaire Emery is the best player in the world of his age. And I will hear no arguments towards that. There is nobody even close. That kid is really special. Dembele, Kolomuani and uh, Mbappe in attack. 
And then coming off the bench, you've got Fabian Ruiz, Ramos, Lee Kangen, or Kangen Lee, uh, Nordi Mukieli, the ones who didn't get to play, Daniel Pereira, I'm not a big fan of, Carlos Soler, Bradley Barcola, Arno Tennis, really good backup goalkeeper, uh, Alexandra Letier, Letelier. Um, they've also got Nuno Mendes to come back into that. They've got Kimpembe to come back in. I'm not a big Luis Enrique fan. And I think he's what holds them back. That and the fact that I think they need one more in midfield, a better version of Vitinho. And I'd like to see them add another centre-back because Kimpembe just he concerns me. He's, he's error-prone. He relies too much on his speed to make up for the mistakes that he makes. Now, Hernandez can play centre-back, so th- there is that option. But I feel like this PSG team, they're not all that far away from really achieving their goal of being a Champions League winner. They have the players, more or less. They're missing two, I think. But they've got depth everywhere. They've got quality everywhere. Asensio wasn't in the squad last night either. Milan were poor. Really, really poor. And look, they had a good summer. Wasn't as good as people made out. There's a lot of talent in the squad. But there's still some flaws in the squad. I mean, the defence I really like. Kalulu at right back. Tamori and Thio. And Theo Hernandez, who I think is the best left back in the world. That's really good. Mike Mannion is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. But then, I mean, Reinsders looks good. Yunus Musa is very promising. Krunich is a, is a level below where Milan need to be. Pulisic and Liao are obviously very, very good. They're still reliant heavily on Ali Giroud. You'd like to see... Luka Jovic step up and take that number nine position. There is a need for that holding midfielder. That's where Tenali would be, but obviously he's, he's gone to Newcastle. And I think, I think it's important to ask the question, did they know this was coming? Did Milan know that Tenali was facing a long ban? Because it was very clear he didn't want to leave. In the summer. Very clear he didn't want to go anywhere. He's a boyhood Milan fan. One of their best players. And it's just a little bit convenient that a couple of months after he makes his move, now he's banned for 10 months. Maybe Milan knew it was coming. Uh, They do have Benesser to come back into that midfield, which will help massively. I'm still not sold on Pioli as a manager. I know he won the league with them, but I'm still not sold. I just don't think he sets his teams up or prepares them well enough. Um, Antwerp won. Porto four. Evan Nielsen with a hat trick and Estica with one. Uh, Al Hassan Yusuf had actually put Antwerp one up, and then Porto roared back in the second half with four goals, uh, three in the first twenty-five minutes of the of the half, and it was game over from there. And finally then, Celtic 2, Atletico Madrid 2. At Celtic Park, Parkhead, Paradise, call it what you will. 
last night it was an exemplary display of humanity, of everything that's good about football, of everything that's good about Celtic and its fans, led by the Green Parade. Palestinian flags everywhere, as you'll never walk alone, belted out around the crowd. It was incredible. It was spine tingling. It would have the hairs rise up on your arms. You wanted to be there watching that game, but not for the game. You wanted to be there to be in that crowd, to be with those people. They did themselves proud last night, as they have done repeatedly. Their team responded by going one up on four minutes through Kyogo. Antoine Griezmann equalised on 25 minutes. Luis Palma put Celtic 2-1 up on 28 minutes. They got to half-time ahead. Alvaro Morata scores eight minutes into the second half. The game was always going to end in a draw from there. Celtic just didn't have another goal in them. Rodrigo de Paul was sent off on 82 minutes. You thought maybe, just maybe, they'll get a lift out of this, but no. It's Atletico Madrid, it's Diego Simeone, so playing with 10 men makes no difference to them. They're still going to be Atletico Madrid, and they just went back into shell mode. Um, It's a great result for Celtic because, you know, they've been absolutely walloped by most good clubs that have come through Celtic Park under Brendan Rodgers in his two tenures. But getting a draw at home to Atleti, really, really promising. Uh, It won't see them through the group. They're still going to go out, and in all likelihood, they'll go out as the bottom bottom team in the group. So no Europa League, but it's a point more than I thought they were going to get. It's a point more than I thought they were going to get. So in Group E, we've got Feyenoord top, Atletico Madrid second, Lazio third, six points, five points, four points, and Celtic with one point. Group F, PSG are top with six. Dortmund and Newcastle have four. Dortmund are ahead of Newcastle now on the head-to-head. And Milan are bottom with two points. In Group G, Manchester City, no surprise, have nine points. Leipzig have six. Young Boys and Red Star have one each. And in Group H, Barcelona have nine points. Porto have six. Shakhtar have three. And Antwerp have no points. That's where we stand in the Champions League for now. In the Europa League, we have lots and lots of football tonight. And in the Europa Conference League, we have lots and lots of football tomorrow night. Tonight as well. Tomorrow night, tonight as well. Uh, Europa League first. Back at Topola will take on Freiburg. Aris Limassol take on Real Betis. Marseille against AEK Athens. That should be a good one. Rakow against Sporting. Sparta Prague against Rangers. Olympiacos against West Ham. That's a tough test for West Ham because that's an intimidating place to go. I still fancy them to win, though. Uh, Sturm Graz against Atalanta. Molde against Hacken. All of those games are 5.45 UK kickoff. The two that stand out to me... Marseille, Marseille versus AEK Athens, although Marseille have been fairly poor this season. Uh, and Olympiacos against West Ham, I think, is the one I'll go with. Uh, in the 8 p.m. kickoffs, Leverkusen versus Quarabeg, Panikonitos versus Rennes, 
Sheriff Tiraspol versus Servette. Roma versus Slavia Prague. Union St. Gelos versus Lask. Liverpool versus Toulouse. And the tie of the night, without question, Brighton versus Ajax. Now, there's a chap on Twitter who's, by all accounts, very reliable for Brighton team news. And he says James Milner is starting. So Brighton are basically starting 1-0 down in that game. But lots of good football tonight. Panikonaitis versus Wren should be good. Leverkusen are always worth a watch. And obviously, like I said, that Brighton-Ajax game, I think, is the tie of the of the day. And then the two good games at 5.45. In the Europa Conference League, tons and tons of football. You just you couldn't run, have more football if you tried. Um, my Pharaoh friends, whose name I can't pronounce and will not pronounce, versus Olympia. AZ Alkmaar versus Aston Villa. That's a really big game for Villa. That's a really tough game for Villa. Ghent versus Bryoblek. Lille versus Slovan Bratislava. Balkany versus Astana. Fenerbahce versus Ludogorets. And Lugano versus Club Bruges. They're all at 5.45. If you're wondering why there's seven of them and seven late kickoffs in the Europa League, it's because the Israeli teams will not be taking part in this round of games while the conflict rages in Israel and in Palestine more more so. Um, 8pm kickoffs. Bodo Glimt versus Besiktas. Aberdeen versus PAOK. Genk versus Ferencvaros, Spartak Tarnava versus Nordlesjand, Zorinski versus Legia Warsaw, Eintracht Frankfurt versus HJK, Dinamo Zagreb versus Victoria Plisson, and Fiorentina versus Kukuriki. So loads of good games. Definitely Europa League is obviously the stronger competition, but definitely some games worth watching in the uh, Conference League as well. Alkmaar versus Villa, I think, is is going to be a good game. Bodo Glimp versus Besiktas is an interesting one. Genk versus Ferenc Varos, who's been pretty good in Europe this year. Nordensjend are always worth watching because there's always at least one amazing player in that squad. Their, their academy is just phenomenal. And the way they have it set up with the Right to Dream Academy where they're getting the very best young players from Ghana is so important. Um, It's so important to how they're growing the club and how they're building a future. They've also now got um, a tie-in with San Diego FC, which is scheduled to enter Major League Soccer in 2025. I told you 18 months to two years ago that there was going to be an MLS team in San Diego. It's one of the places I thought that maybe Messi might get some ownership, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they if that turns out to be the case, that Messi becomes a part owner of that team. Um they're going to build a Right to Dream Academy in California. Right to Dream, of course, own Nordlesjend. Right to Dream, the company, owns Nordlesjend. 
Right to Dream also then has their academies. Um, so impressive. Some of the players that have come through. Simon Adingra, what a player. Mohamed Kudus, Kamaldeen Suleimana, Ernest Nuama. I mean, that's just four. Super exciting young wingers that could become some of the best players in Europe over the next few years. And if you look at that Nordlesian squad, uh, Nordlesian squad, uh, Mohamed Diamande is a, an interesting player, 21-year-old Ivorian midfielder, also through the right to dream process. Um, Andreas uh, Schreldrup, the young Norwegian, is back there on loan. He's a lot of fun. Zidane Zertdemir, the young Danish midfielder who went to Bayer Leverkusen and has now returned, is another really fun one. He's still only 18. Schreldrup, I think, is 19. Yeah, like these are still kids. Um, Mario Dorgelis, he's another one that's through the Right to Dream Academy. Another Ivorian midfielder, really, really promising. Adama Nagalo. Young centre-back, also from the Ivory Coast, also through Right to Dream. Just just keep an eye on... Um, just keep an eye on Nordlesjand over the next couple of years because I guarantee there's going to be at least one big money move from that academy sort of every 18 months, and you're going to go, wow, what a, what a talent. Like Kudus, like Suleimana, like Nuama. There's just so many of them that are, are so impressive. Uh, Yannick Agnero is another one who's very highly regarded. So just keep an eye on them. And they've now got much more money. They're, they're being backed by the Mansour group out of Egypt. And just keep an eye on the growth over the next couple of years. Because with that type of financial power, who knows what they can do? Who knows what they can do? Um, right. What was I going to do now? Oh, we're going to do the news because we'll do questions after the break. Uh, the Tonali ban is now official. Uh, he has been banned for 10 months by the Italian Football Federation for breaching betting rules. He will be eligible to play again in August and will be unable to feature at Euro 2024. 10 months. It's a long ban. It is a long ban. Um, he played last night for, for the tune, came off the bench against Milan. And now we won't see him again until August, which is a shame because he's a really good footballer. And it's always a shame when good footballers can't play football. He's still only 23, though, so he's still really young. But it is what it is. Um, he'll have to undergo an extended treatment for his gambling issues. I think it's eight months he has to do in a facility. So it'll remain to be seen where that facility will be. Will it be in Italy? So will he go back and spend the majority of the time there? Or will it be in the UK? Will he stay around Newcastle? Because my guess is he's not allowed train or anything in the same way Ivan Tony wasn't allowed train for part of his ban. 
people want Haaland to score, but he will... Sorry, people want Haaland to fail, but he will score, according to Pep Guardiola. It, it's actually amazing how Pep manages to constantly make out that City are some sort of underdog. Right, there's a, a pick and 11 here. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, history chasers versus history makers. Pick your Man City and Man United combined 11. Okay. Goalkeepers. We can have Bartez, Ederson, or Edwin van der Sar. It will be Edwin van der Sar, quite clearly. Right, in defence, Yapstam will definitely be in. Ruben Diaz is going to be in. Um, Dennis Irwin will obviously be the left back. Right back, it's Gary Neville. It is. Gary Neville is, is a better was a better right back. Although Wes Brown might be the answer. Wes just didn't become the player he should have been. That's a hell of a defense. <laughs> Diaz in with Neville, Stam and Irwin. Uh in midfield, Roy Keane, without question. We're gonna change the formation, obviously, to four four two. Uh right side of midfield is Beckham. Left side of midfield, Ryan Giggs. Central midfield with Keane, Pulse, goals. And then in attack, we'll take KDB and we will take Erling Haaland. Van der Sar, Neville, Diaz, Stam, Irwin, Beckham, Keane, Scholes and Giggs. Rodri is great. He's not as good as Roy Keane was. He just isn't as good as Roy Keane was. Bernardo Silva's great, but he doesn't get into that team. De Bruyne and Haaland as a one-off, obviously. Um, De Bruyne as a 10, Haaland as a 9 sort of shape. Probably put it in the 4-2-3-1 just quite quickly, just for my own uh, my own sanity, because otherwise it will upset me. Um, right, there we go. Right, forty-three-one. Van der Sar, Neville, Diaz, Stam, Irwin, Keenan, Scholes, Beckham, KDB, Giggs, and then Haaland. I think that's really strong. I think that's really, really, really strong. I, that team would would wipe the floor with anybody that's around right now. I actually don't know how. I don't know how you beat that team. Like, as good and all as York and Cole were, like, these are significant upgrades on them. Diaz is a significant upgrade on Ronnie Johnson. And, like, then you're getting the City lads as your bench, basically. So Ederson's all of a sudden your backup goalkeeper. That wouldn't be bad to have. You've got Gavardiol. Kyle Walker, Stones, Kanji, Aki as backup defenders. Rodri, Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden, Julian Alvarez, 
Jeremy Doku. That would be a very, very fun squad if you could make a 22 out of both the left, both best 11s. Um, but yeah, United's 11, it was better than City's 11, without doubt. The manager would be Ferguson. Just to be clear, the manager would be Alex Ferguson. It would not be Pep Guardiola. As good and all as Pep is, Alex Ferguson was a better manager than he is. Um, where else? Speaking of, speaking of Alex Ferguson, I, I thought the clip of him in the, I haven't still haven't watched it yet, but the clip of him within, in the Beckham trailer is brilliant where Beckham says, Oh, I, I, I didn't change me. I haven't changed. And Ferguson immediately goes to Ferguson. He's like, no, it definitely changed. There's no doubt about that. That's very, very good. Premier League to play first Christmas Eve Eve game since 1995. A Premier League match will be played on Christmas Eve for the first time in 28 years when Wolves host Chelsea. Originally scheduled for the 23rd, the game will now take place on the 24th at 1pm. The only previous Christmas match played in the Premier League uh, sorry, played on played by the Premier League on Christmas Eve was Leeds 3, Manchester United 1 in 95. Other than that, we've never had a game on Christmas Eve. I, I don't know why they're insistent on doing that. Maybe because it's a Sunday. Maybe that's what the reason is. Um... Absorbing Simeone at centre of Champions League anarchy. Diego Simeone scrunched his nose, his nose, gave a nonchalant shrug of his shoulders and waved a comforting hand in the face of the anarchy raining down around him. It was a small gesture in the moment his Atletico Madrid team had just conceded a start, startlingly, startlingly early goal in the Champions League but the man in the big padded jacket on the touchline seemed seemed unperturbed. Probably because he knew they were playing Celtic and Rodgers' team are always poor defensively. Um, I was hoping there'd be more about this, uh, but it's basically just a match report. Uh, on to the gossip then, and we'll do the questions after the break. This is great. This this could be the, this, the, the move of the year. Manchester United are planning to ask David De Gea to return on a short-term deal. Four months after letting him go. If he has any self-respect, he tells them to go away. Manchester City are exploring the possibility of signing Jamal Musiala. They face competition from Liverpool. Bayern are in doubt over whether to pursue Joe Pellini in January after almost signing him in the summer. Barcelona and Real Madrid are keeping tabs on Gabriel Jesus. I'm not sure why Barca would be there fairly loaded in attack. Real could use a nine, but I don't think he's the nine they want. Manchester United and Liverpool have been watching Robin Lenormand. I hope not. Um, Well, United can have him. Aston Villa have emerged as front runners to sign Nahuel Molina from Atletico Madrid. Um, I think he's just going to sign a new contract and stay where he is. West Ham could seal the signing of Club America's Uruguayan centre-back Sebastian Caceres in January for as little as six million. Portuguese coach Jose Mourinho is expected to leave Roma at the end of the season, and Tammy Abraham could follow him back to the Premier League. I don't think Jose is coming back to the Premier League. Manchester United Arsenal and Manchester City 
are continuing to monitor Michael Coyote, despite the Italian right-back signing a new contract at Fiorentina. Ian Matson is set to leave Chelsea in January after failing to secure a starting place. But he has no intention of going back to Burnley. Um, with his contract situation as well, I think it's probably the right move for everybody. Former Greece defender Socrates is set to be reunited with former Arsenal teammate Hector Bellerin at Real Betis, having been a free agent since leaving Olympiacos. Okay. West Ham are poised to start looking at potential replacements for David Moyes. Makes sense. Ex-Barcelona and Mexico defender Rafael Marquez is ready to coach Barca's first team after impressing with the club's B team, says former teammate Gerard Piquet. Al-Nazir and Senegal forward Sadio Mane is in the process of purchasing French fourth-tier club Bourges Foot 18. Good luck to Sadio in that new endeavour. Football ownership seems like it might be an enormous pain in the arse. Right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll do what questions we have and we'll be done. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, um, question time. Uh, We have the first one here, I think it's from LFC Station. Can you name any opposition player or players in the last 20 years, except during the Hodgson era, that played for Liverpool, sorry, that played against Liverpool, that had world-class performances that deserved a standing ovation from Liverpool fans. Um, if we're talking about away from home, Messi at the new Camp was incredible. Um... Vinicius Jr. absolutely rinsed Trent a few years ago. Was outstanding in the game. So go him. Eden Hazard, that famous League Cup game the Chelsea fans bang on about. That one. Uh, Arshavin at Anfield when he scored four. Uh, Julio Baptiste against Liverpool for Arsenal. Would be one. He was incredible in one game. Um, I'm trying to think now. I thought Lorente at Anfield a few years ago when Atletico beat Liverpool was was brilliant, and I, I thought he would have deserved it. Uh, in the away leg, Saul was incredible, so I'd go him. Um, Rooney never really had an outrageous performance against Liverpool. Cristiano, I know he scored some goals, but he was never. It was never a game where you walked away thinking, "Wow." Yap Stam put Michael Owen in his pocket once in one of the best defensive performances I've ever seen. So that'll be one. That's probably over the last... That's more than 20 years ago, but I'll, I'll include it anyway. Uh, Michael Essien, actually, to be fair, had multiple games. Roy Keane had multiple games where they just absolutely dominated Liverpool in the middle of the park. So I'll include both of them. 
Um, just trying to think. There's been a few others. Michael Michael Tong, I remember in a in a game between Liverpool and Sheffield United, was brilliant. But that was a Bramall Lane again. It was an away one, but he was so so good. Sane, Sane had a couple. De Bruyne had a couple. Bernardo Silva probably has had more than anybody, though, in recent years, where you've just come away thinking, what a player. What an absolutely outrageous footballer that kid is. Um, There's the Phil Foden game where he rinsed James Milner, (laughs) but it was James Milner. Van Dyke, when he was at Southampton. It was it was at Southampton, but he was unreal, absolutely unreal that game. Um, there's there's a long list. Uh, Rick M, how do you think Memphis will do without Brandon Clark and now Stephen Adams? They're generally very good in the regular season, but have some big injuries and of course no Ja Morant for the first twenty five games. So ja, ja is the is the key here. Twenty five games suspended and no Tyus Jones as a backup point guard. Instead, they've got Marcus Smart. Who Marcus Marks a better player than Tyus Jones without question, but I think Tyus Jones is a better point guard. I think he's a safer pair of hands. I think they're gonna struggle early. I think they'll they'll comfortably make the playoffs. I think I I wrote out my predictions. I think I have them as a fifth seed after the Adams. Injury. I had them as a, as the three seed before that in the West, but they're going to struggle for rebounds because Jaron Jackson can't rebound to save his life, and now Adam's gone for the season. Clark for how how long we don't know. It's it's one of those injuries that's just open ended, uh, torn Achilles, and he might not have any spring when he comes back, and obviously no jaw. Bain's not a great rebounder. Smart's a decent rebounder for his position, but you know I, I don't know who's going to play the three for them now. I don't know who's going to play the five for them. Like they're 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 looking a little bit light as things stand. There's a lot of players on the Grizzlies that I do like um, in terms of depth. I mean, they got beaten last night by the Pelicans, and I didn't think the Pelicans were even at their very very best. Adams injured. Santi Aldama, I do like, and he is seven foot tall, but he's a skinny seven foot, and I don't think he's going to be able to play the five and take the beating that some centers like like Jonas Valanciunas will give you. Desmond Bain is outstanding, but he's a two guard. Clark being injured, I mean, he, even he's undersized at center. Um. Gigi Jackson's an interesting one. They drafted him out of South Carolina. Five-star recruit going into college. Had a difficult year. Let his ego run away from him. And he's come out and he's been very open about it. He would have been a top 10 pick based on talent. But the reports on him were so bad that he slipped into the second round. Uh, He's currently on a two-way. And he's probably going to play more for the hustle than for the Grizzlies. Triple J is great, but the guy can't rebound. And he can only play about 30 minutes a night because he's always in foul trouble. 
Um, not a big Luke Kennard guy. John Contra's decent, but again, he's more a two than a three. Uh, Jake Laravia, I like. I think he's a good player, great fundamentals. I think he might see a lot of time with the three. Kenny Lofton Jr., he's too small, 6'6", to really play center. He's too heavy to play anywhere else, so I, I don't know if he's got a long NBA career ahead. I hope so, because he's a fun player. David Roddy, I really like, but again, he's 6'4", and he's 255, big body Roddy. Really interesting player. I'd love him as a depth piece on the Wolves, but I just don't know that he's going to get enough minutes with, with these because he's behind Triple J and Santi Aldama in the four spot. He's too short to play the five. He's not quick enough to play the three. Derek Rose, I like. Marcus Smart, I like. I mean, I think the plan is to play Marcus Smart as the three. Even though he's only six foot three, he's got long arms. He's an incredible defender. So he's going to play the three and Rose maybe gets in starting as the one. Maybe they get through that. Xavier Tillman, again, he's only six, seven. So he's too slow to play as a wing. So he's got to play the four or the five. Uh, Zaire Williams, they need to come good. If he can come good, they can they can still be strong in the opening portion of the season with Smart at the one. Like, last night they started Smart at the one, Bain at the two, Zaire at the three, Jackson at the four, uh, Jaron Jackson, and Tillman at the five. David Roddy played the most minutes off the bench, then Derek Rose, Luke Kennard, and Jake Laravia also played a lot of minutes. But they just got they got destroyed on in terms of rebounds. I mean, Tillman had 12. Nobody else had more than five. That was Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain, and David Roddy. Whereas you look at the Pelicans, Valanchunas had 12. Herb Jones had eight. Zion had eight. Brandon Ingram had, sorry, Zion had seven. Brandon Ingram had seven. Uh, Larry Nance Jr. off the bench in only 15 minutes had eight. Like, they just got dominated on the boards. That's my big concern with them. I don't think they're going to be able to rebound well enough without Stephen Adams. I think they're going to have to go and make a trade. I wonder, could they get, like, Andre Drummond for a couple of seconds? I know he's not great, but he he rebounds like all hell. Um, Clint Capella's the one I think they'd really like to get, but I don't know the Hawks will give him up. You look around the league, I mean, the Knicks might be someone that they could have words with. Because, I mean, the Knicks have Mitchell Robinson as their starting centre, and they're committed to Mitchell Robinson as their starting centre. Could So could Isaiah Hartenstein become available? He's a good rebounder. He's a really good passer. He's probably one of the best backup fives in the league. Now, it's a big difference between being a backup five and being a starting five. But I think he'd help. Could they look at Robert Williams? I don't know what the situation's going to be with Portland, whether they'll want to keep him for the long term. I kind of want them to, because I, I want them to go with Time Lord and Aiton. Uh, by the way, DeAndre Aiton should be ashamed of himself after last night's outing. 
Um, then they've got Jeremy Grant as well. So, I mean, do, do they need to keep Robert Williams? Probably not. But then they might prefer to keep him and try and trade Jeremy Grant because Jeremy Grant might bring back more on a trade and he's older and he's a longer contract, a more expensive contract. Um, I, I mean, the ideal fit would be Rudy Gobert, but they can't match the salary. It would be very, very difficult for them to match the salary. They'd have to... Let me see. Portland. Oh, what are we doing? Uh, trade machine. Da, 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 da. Let's get the trade machine up. Uh, we'll put in Minnesota. We'll put in... Memphis, right. Rudy Gobert earns 41 million this year. So you're looking at Stephen Adams. You're not trading Ja, you're not trading Triple J, you're not trading Marcus Smart. I think you have to throw in Luke Kennard. And then. It's probably about trying to piece together smaller contracts. But even that, that, like they've got Brandon Clark on 12.5 million. Nobody else in the roster earns more than five. And I mean, they've got the Bain extension coming next year, but they're not going to trade him, obviously. So do you throw in Brandon Clark? I mean, would they give up Brandon Clark? It seems like a lot to give up Adams. Clark and Canard, plus you're going to have to throw in at least a first. I mean, could you get there with Roddy Zaire? That trade won't work. It does work. So Luke Canard, Stephen Adams, Zaire Williams, David Roddy, and a first for Rudy Gobert. I don't know if the Wolves would do it. I don't think they'd be against a trade for Rudy Gobert. I think they know it was a mistake, especially how much they gave up. It kills me how much they gave up. But Rudy replaces everything Stephen Adams gives you rebounding-wise, and he's a much better defender. And if you put Rudy Gobert and Jaron Jackson Jr. together, you're probably going to be a top three defense in the league especially when you've got Marcus Smart. Now, it would it would hurt their depth a little bit. But, I mean, Luke Kennard always falls out of the rotation. But the Wolves need a shooter off the bench, so he would fill that role for the Wolves. Zaire Williams is an interesting project for the Wolves. And I like Roddy. And Roddy's from Minnesota, so he might be quite happy about the possibility of going home. I I don't know. My my guess is they try for someone like Hartenstein if they can't get a Robert Williams. Robert Williams would worry me though because of the injuries. Um, Matt JT, assuming Liverpool get a six in January and sell Mo in the summer, uh, how would you use that money based on formation? Who would you buy for a four four two box, four four two diamond, four three one, the old four four three. Four four three four three three. I'm like Todd Bowley here. 
and whatever you call the new inverted trend formation. Right, let me get an old pen and paper and we'll start going through this. Uh, right, so we'll start with the we'll start with the box midfield. So Allison's gonna be in goal, obviously. Gonna have Virgil and Ebu at centre back. The question is, do I want do I want Trent at right back or do I want Trent in midfield? Do you know if I can go with it, if I can throw in an extra formation here of a, of an actual four four two, but one that changes in possession? Um, I'll put Trent right back, Dominic right side of midfield, Alexis, and I'm just going to put in Decore because he's the six that I want. As Decoury and Alexis in centre midfield, Dominic on the right, and Darwin up front. So with with the Mo money and whatever else is there in the summer, I want left winger, left back, and a striker. So I want Neto from Wolves on the left wing. At left back, I'm going to go with Inacio. I think 100 million gets the two of them. I'd love Vic I I'd love Osman. I, I think that him and Darwin I think would work. I was going to go with that. That's what I'm going to go with. The reason I'm going Neto left wing and not Kvitcha who everybody knows I I would love but I can move it to a back 3 on the in possession. Ibu, Virgil, Inacio. Back three, I get two elite passers in Virgil and Inacio. Trent is then my high and wide width on the right. Neto's my high and wide width on the left. Decoure and Alexis sit in as a double pivot in front of my back three. And Dominic roams into that central space. So your 4-4-2 becomes a 3-2-3-2. With Osman and Darwin up front. Uh, right, to the others. So, box midfield. Um, right, Ali. Kanate. Virgil. We play Alexis on the right of the box midfield. Dominic on the left. I'm moving Trent into midfield next to Decoure, who's I just I'm just using him as a placeholder more than anything. And I've got Darwin up front. <clears throat> so in this scenario, I think I want attacking fullbacks. Um, do you know what? I'm still going to keep an Ashio. Or am I? No, you know what? 
No, we'll go with we'll go with a more attacking left back than Anasio. And Anasio's really, really good, obviously, but we'll go with a more attack minded um left back. And we look for Could you get a stupid in from Brighton? Do you know what? We'll go Mendes because I I think PSG would sell. Considering they've got Lucas Hernandez, who the manager clearly has a preference for there. I think we'll go Mendes at left back. Now at right back, again, I'd ideally like someone who's good going forward. So I think I'll go with Frimpong. He does lack a bit of height, but he's so so exciting going forward. So if I've got those two with Virgil and Canate, Trent and Decoure in front, Alexis and Dominic as the advanced two, I'm looking for someone to play off Darwin. Um, this is where someone like Rodrigo from Real would fit really well. This is the type of role that works perfectly for him. Um, Nico Williams would also fit into this role. He's got the pace, he's got the the intelligence, he's got the movement. But I think you want to go for a big hitter. You're losing Salah. I think you've got to go big for one. So I think you go Rafael Leao. I think Leao and Darwin as a two would be a fairly terrifying prospect for anyone to line up against. If we're talking about a diamond, I'm doing exactly the same. I'm putting Decoure deepest, Trent on the right of the diamond, Alexis on the left of the diamond, Dominic as the 10, Darwin and Leao as my front two. In a 4-2-3-1, in a 4-2-3-1, I go Allison, Trent at right back, Kanate, Virgil, and I would still go Mendes. Then Decoure and Alexis as the double pivot. Dominic is the 10. Darwin as the 9. And I'll go Neto right wing and Kavicha left wing. Kavicha would be my, my sort of big hit in that. The alternative left back to Mendes is obviously Alfonso Davies because I think he will be available unless he signs a new contract, which he doesn't seem to be keen on. Now, Real apparently are keen, but Real are just linked to everybody. But I, I think I'll, I'll stick with Mendes for now. Um, but yeah, 4-2-3-1, I go, I go Neto one wing, Kavicha the other. And I just rinse, you rinse everybody down the flanks. Um, and in this hybrid system then, 
So it's Allison, it's Ebu, Virgil, and Inacio. Trent, Dukure, Dominic, Alexis, I think I go with the same. I think I go Neto. Actually, you know, you go Neto, Darwin. No, I'd still go Kavicha. I was going to say Liao again, but I think I'd still go Kavicha in that shape. If I could find a way to get Kavicha... In a 4-4-2, you could go Kavicha left... Lay out through the middle with with Darwin. I just don't think you can afford to get both of them. Both are brilliant. I I think Kavich is the better player, but there's that four four two with Dominic right Neto left purely because I want that left footed crossing ability. And if I'm going with Anasio in that role, plus the idea of it going from a four three a four four two to a three two three two. You want Trent getting forward high and wide on the right, so you need the mirror of that on the left. And I think I think Neto gives you that crossing ability. So yeah, there you go. Um Isaac Gilding, with the nostalgia and power ranking pods you've been doing recently, the concept of historical overrating and historical underrating has come up a number of times. What do you think it is that decides a player's reputation will grow or diminish as time goes on at the end of their careers? Well, there's a few factors that always come up for me. One is obviously tribalism, uh, which is the curse of social media. The other is when a player has, like, let's take Steven Gerrard as a prime example of this. Steven Gerrard had a very good start to his career, was a a very good, promising player for the first couple of years. And then after Liverpool won the treble, the experience of that and the confidence he gained from that, Steven Gerrard was a force of nature. From 2001 to 2009, he was incredible. And then injuries really started to slow him down. And the last four to five years of Steven Gerrard's career are not particularly good. He has that really good run in 13-14. But even that's punctuated by some really poor performances. If you go back and watch the first half of the 13-14 season, he was dreadful. The 14-15 season, his legs were gone and... Rogers overplayed him and he was dreadful. The 12 13 season, he didn't have a particularly good campaign. 11 12, he missed over half the season with injuries. 10 11, he missed half the season with injuries. 09 10, that last Benitez season, was just a bit of a mess and he wasn't himself. Like, realistically, the last six years of Gerrard's Liverpool career, 
there's not one good season in there. The 13-14 season is overrated historically because Liverpool went in a title charge in the back half of the season and he had that good 11-12 game run. But even in that, there are a couple of poor performances, like a couple of absolute stinking Gerrard performances. I give you as evidence Liverpool versus Swansea City, a 4-3 win at Anfield in which John Joe Shelby absolutely rinsed Steven Gerrard. I give you as another example, Liverpool three, Liverpool six, Cardiff three. Gerrard remembers playing defensive midfield at this role and it's not working well. He's playing it like Pirlo while being expected to play it like Roy Keane. He could do the Pirlo part. He couldn't do the Keane part. But in that back half, he was good. Like, he was good. From Stoke away, when Rodgers changed the shape and moved him into that kind of quarterback role with two runners in front of him, which was the Pirlo role, but in a different shape, he was good. And Liverpool went on that incredible run. But there are a couple of poor performances. But before that, he'd been dreadful. Go back and watch Liverpool 3, Everton 3 at Goodison. That's one of the worst performances you'll see from any midfielder in the Premier League in the last 20 years. It was absolutely shocking. I need a bunch of those. His first half of the season was poor. Second half was good. But over the course of the season, it's just a bit average. I know he got in the team of the year. I don't care. I know he scored a bunch of goals. Almost all of them were penalties. I don't care. He wasn't good that year. For the from from August to May, I'm taught when I say a good season, I mean August to May, not January to late April, not November to February. The Henderson good season. I'm talking August to May. There isn't one in those last six years, and the problem is. Too many people remember only those seasons because they're too young to remember before that. They're too young to remember what he did in 05-06, in 07-08, 08-09. They're too young for any of that. This guy was incredible from the 01-02 season to the end of the 08-09 season. He was otherworldly year after year after year. And after that, he just wasn't as he wasn't as good. He was still a good player and he was capable of great performances, but he couldn't do it consistently. Injuries stole the last bit of athleticism he had left. And then his flaws got magnified because he was put in positions that, yes, amplified some of his strengths, like his passing, his vision, but opened him up to show that Defensively, Gerrard had never been up to snuff. Big tackles for the TV cameras don't make you a good defensive player. Gerrard was never coached properly to play that kind of role. So there's that. There's also, how many goals did you score? How many assists did you get? Oh, it's not enough. You're not, you're not as good as people say you are. Paul Scholes, prime example of that. Paul Scholes is so underrated, it's become obscene. Frank Lampard, on the flip side, is hugely overrated because he scored so many goals. So goals and assists, the simple things for people to look at, 
people who never saw a player play will always look at those things. Ballon d'Ors and such nonsense. People will look at those things. Oh, well, he was never voted in the top 15. And what? It's a a popularity contest. That's all it is. It's a popularity contest. So those type of things just will always factor in because people are too lazy to go back and actually watch players play. People won't take 20 hours out of a week to sit and actually learn about a player. Go back and properly study them. You know, take that time. They just don't want to do it. They'd rather go on Wikipedia, have a quick glance, and then go on Twitter and get 8,000 likes by saying, let's finish this debate. Frank Lampard scored this number of goals, and Paul Scholes only scored this number of goals. It's clearly Frank Lampard clear. Like, dickheads. Absolute dickheads. Um, Fact, 1977, Mudrick's goal... This Saturday had a 0.01 XG and had Raya been remotely at home, it likely ends in nothing. That said, it made me think about fluky goals. Independent of talent level, who are your top three all-time Premier League players who somehow found a little or a lot of these kind of flukes bouncing in? Uh, Frank Lampard. uh, I, I never saw a person score as many deflected goals as him, but he is closely followed by Aaron Ramsey, this the Arsenal version. And then third, Ryan Giggs scored a few, like, the Giggs ones were from free kicks often. Like, there was a few crosses that skewed into the net that he then tried to claim he meant, but he clearly didn't. Um, But, like, Ryan Giggs used to take free kicks sometimes from the right-hand side. And it'd be that free kick that he curled in, aiming sort of towards the back post. And if no one got a touch on it, it would go in directly. Those types, I don't know if they're... They, he, he meant to put it in that area, but the fact that they went in, I think he scored three or four like that. Um, who else scored a lot of flukes? Stoke City as a football club scored a lot of fluky goals. Like the the long throw-in from Rory Delap and defenders just in a mad panic and people swinging at the ball with no real plan for what to do if they made contact and either slicing it into their own net, levelling it against a Stoke player and it deflecting in leveling it against one of your own players and it deflecting in. Stoke City as a football club will be my number three. Uh, AMK2889 came across a post yesterday in which both Inter and Torino were lined up on the field with the children that walk out with them. As the camera passed along the teams, one of the kids quickly lifted up his shirt to reveal he was wearing a Torino jersey under his Inter jersey, obviously showing he was a Torino fan at heart and an Inter mascot by choice. And of suspect to that kid for doing that. I echo that entirely. The first comment attached to the picture was someone joking that this is Lukaku's summer transfer window in a nutshell. That's good. Uh, the comment section in relation to that were a lot of people expressing that player loyalty is non-existent nowadays. What are your thoughts on this? Also, who are your 
five current players you would love for them to be a one club player. Um, I'll address the second part first. Um, so Trent is is obviously one. Uh, I hope Trent never plays for anybody else. Bakayo Saka, as much as I'd love him at Liverpool, I'd, I'd, I really want him to have his entire career with Arsenal. I really do. I hope he stays there. Um, Gavi. I hope Gavi is a one-club player. I assume we're talking globally. Uh, if not, if I, I'll do five and then I'll just do a couple more Premier League ones if need be. But Gavi is one. I just I want to see him stay at Barca and, and become all that he can be at Barcelona. Um, see there's a few at Chelsea but Chelsea's always been such a transient club and there's no real loyalty from the club to the players so I don't really I don't really want to include anyone there I I always wanted Wilf Zaha to stay where he was and I wanted Jack Grealish to stay where he was and just, you know, become real icons of those clubs. And I think Zaha is in many ways, because Palace have a lot less hi- history than Villa. But I was really hoping he would stay where he was. Uh, but moving past that... Um, I'd love for Jamal Musiala to stay at Bayern his whole career. And I'd love for Florian Verts as much again as I'd love him at Liverpool, I'd love him to stay at Leverkusen and and help elevate them. Because if they could win one title, that would mean more than winning five or six elsewhere, I think. Though he's not. No, he wouldn't count because they bought him in. So he wouldn't count anyway. So we can remove him from that list. Uh, Musiala, though, for certain. And then... I mean... It's tough because, like, you look at someone like Scalvini at Atalanta, you'd love to see him stay there. You'd love to see them build around him and and not sell off their best players. But that's just the model. So, unfortunately, to survive, that's what they have to do. And I think that's a bigger factor than, like, people do talk about players not being loyal. Why should they be in many ways? Because... Clubs aren't loyal. Clubs were the first ones to say, well, this is a business. And you look at what, say, happened to David De Gea in the summer, where United agreed a new contract with him and then withdrew the offer, which to me is scumbag behavior from whoever was involved with that. So why would any player look at United and think, oh, I need to be loyal here? when they're not loyal to their players. Do you know? I don't mind players taking back some of the power because clubs have had all the power forever and clubs have sold players routinely when players have you know bought a house. They've got kids in school. Their wives are settled into the community. They've got a very happy existence in a certain place. They belong to somewhere and then the club sells them. Happens all the time. 
And it happens especially with players that have come through an academy, achieved their dream of making the first team, taken their money, reinvested it in the community, buying properties, buying a business maybe for you know a family member to run, reinvesting that money. And then all of a sudden, all that gets uprooted and they're gone somewhere. Like, you always hear stories like Harry Redknapp laughs as he tells the story of Benjani when City made a big offer for him. And Benjani was crying and saying he didn't want to go. He didn't want to go. He was happy at Portsmouth. He wanted to stay at Portsmouth. He made a life for himself and his family there. And now everything has to get uprooted and he's off to City because Harry Redknapp is driving Portsmouth into a financial black hole and wants some more money to spend. Um, I mean, any academy player that comes through at Ajax, I'd love them to stay because I'd love to see Ajax reestablish themselves as one of the real, you know, giants of Europe in the European Cup. They'll always be a giant club. But I'd love to see Ajax in the quarter and semi-finals and final every year, you know, getting deep in the competition. Um, not so much anymore, as I think about things. But, uh, you know, in general, Benfica, the same. I, I'd love to see them really be able to compete in the Champions League every year. One of the true great clubs. But can't always get that. I'll go Musiala, Trent, Saka, um, did I say someone else that I've now missed? Oh, Gavi. And the last one I will give you is it's a bit mad that there's nobody in the Tottenham team from their academy. I know Kane was there for a long time. But, you know, it's a little bit mad. Um, I think Chelsea should look to sell Reese James, so I won't include him. Does Levi Caldwell count? He's he's had a spell away on loan. Uh, Do you know what? Evan Ferguson. It won't happen. I know it won't happen, but Evan Ferguson. Evan Ferguson for sure. And to give you two others, just because I, I did pick two from non-Premier League, uh, Jacob Ramsey, I'd love to see him stay at Villa forever. I'd love to see his brother come back and join him. And I don't think there is another one in the Premier League. Unless you say Phil Foden, who I think I think is most likely to stay there at City his entire career anyway. Uh, moving on. Stephen Smith sent me a question. In your opinion, who are the five most likely signings for Liverpool over the next two windows? One in the summer, four, one in the winter, four next summer. Most likely. Right. Uh, In winter, 
I have a horrible feeling because you're asking me most likely not what I want. I have a horrible feeling Liverpool are going to sign Andre. And it's not that I don't like Andre. I think he's very, very good. He just doesn't help Liverpool. He's not a, not a six. He will be violated if he has to play that role week in, week out. He's worse defensively than Alexis because he's too ball-focused. Um, so I think he'll be the one in January. And then in the summer, I think there'll be two centre-backs. I think Inacio will be centre-back, left-back, Inacio. I think they'll look for another one. I think, and this is just a guess, I think they might look for Edmund Topsapa, who I know they've looked at a bunch of times in the past and they do like. So I think they might look at him. I think they will look at, in the summer again, um, Odrago, the the midfielder from Schalke. When he turns 18, I think he becomes uh, someone they'll go for. And I'm going to say Nico Williams on a free. So you end up with Inacio replaces Robertson. Tapsapa becomes the third centre-back, filling in for Ibu. Can also play Virgil's side. Odrago becomes another midfield option. He's a huge talent. I think Nico Williams, I think they look to bring him in for depth in the wide areas because they don't have enough right now. Quality depth in wide areas. That is working on the understanding that Mo Salah stays. If he leaves, then things change. And I don't know either way. I have no idea either way. The last I heard, he he wanted to leave last summer. Not wanted to leave, but would have liked to have taken up the offer. It remains to be seen what he does. Uh, And that's it. That's all I've got, folks. Thank you, as always. I will see you all tomorrow. I will be joined by the one and only Mr. Guy Drinkle tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.